listening to On The Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're here to bring an independent voice to truckies right round Australia. On The Road is proudly brought to you by Queensland Rail, committed to improving level crossing safety through engineering, innovation and education. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. And NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. G'day and welcome back to episode 78 of On The Road. This week we welcome aboard our brand new sponsor, Queensland Rail, and to mark the occasion, Mike has a fascinating chat with a long-time train driver about the things truckies and train drivers do and don't have in common, as well as looking at the vital issue of safety around level crossings. I have a yarn with Brad Christmas from Aussie band Copperline and we'll play their great new single for you as well. Plus another great song later in the show from the wonderful Darlinghurst. All the latest from the On The Road newsroom, something to talk about and a whole lot more. It's time to climb aboard for another great episode, so... Let's get this show on the road! Yes, get on with it! G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. This is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Regular listeners to the show know that we've been doing some work with Queensland Rail promoting level crossing safety and a few other aspects of their safety program. So as a course of the work, we thought it'd be a great idea to get hold of a train driver and have a chat with him. Now, today I've got with me Peter Cohen. He's a 25-year veteran with Queensland Rail. He's driven passenger trains, freight trains, long-distance trains, and now he's a driver, trainer, assessor. And we're going to talk about level crossing safety and all that sort of stuff. But there's a lot of other stuff I want to know as well, because I want to know if he's actually got a Casey Jones hat. (laughs) Peter, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for having me, Mike. Great to be on. So do you, mate? Do you have a Casey Jones hat? (laughs) No, I don't. It's funny that so many people ask you straight away, do you have a hat that you wear? (laughs) That's like the number one question I get. But no, I don't have one of those, sorry. No Casey Jones hat. I'll have to send you an (laughs) on-the-road podcast hat then. Sounds good. Don't wear it backwards, though, all right, because the beak's better out the front, right? No, I'm a bit too old for that now. (laughs) (laughs) Level crossings. We're talking about incidents on level crossings. Mm -hmm. So I suppose first things first, you're driving your train coming up towards the level crossing. Obviously, you're not preparing to stop or anything like that. You're going to try and maintain your speed, mate. If you decide that you want to stop, from the time you decide that, oh, crap, I need to stop, and you pull out all the anchors... How long is it going to take you to pull up? 
for its suburban trains, you're probably looking at three, four hundred meters. Right. But the big freight trains, you could be over a kilometer before they stop. Right. So once you're there, it's a bit of a collision course. Yeah. So you see an incident develop in front of you, and you make the decision that you're going to do the emergency stop. If you've got a trainload of passengers, that's not a good thing because you're going to throw people on the floor and all sorts of things. Yeah, there's not a lot we can do. Once we see them there, we're on a rail, so we can't swerve. That's right. You're straight to the scene of the accident, so all we can do is put in an emergency and just brace. And so you just sort of sit there and close your eyes and hope they get out of the road? Yeah, well, in theory, it's good to close your eyes, but it's hard when you're in the moment. You look. Yeah. Sometimes you look away, sometimes you can't. Well, I know I've had situations driving big trucks and people do stupid things in front of you and you hit the brakes and... Oh, I can imagine. There are times you think to yourself, God, there was a coat of paint and people don't realise you can actually lose a Commodore wagon under the bonnet of a Kenworth 909. Mm, definitely. And I've lost sight of people under the front of the truck, you know? Yeah. Heart in your mouth. I'm sure you've had the same. Oh, I've had it that many times. Mm. We sit up pretty high, especially on the freight trains. Mm. Once you start losing under the nose of the engine or the train, then you can't see. That's when you're waiting for the bang, and that's when it's heart and mouth and your blood runs cold. Yeah. You're just waiting for it and hoping like you're not going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Righto. So level crossing safety. When I first started driving, I was involved in a pretty severe level crossing accident with a semi-trailer. Yeah, right. It was a pretty savage crash. End up rolling the engine, and I think we had 20 wagons roll over as well. Wow. There was three wagons left upright and all the rest on their side and upside down and ripped apart. It's a freight train, right? Yeah, on the Mount Isa line. Yep. Yeah, it was a 2800 class. They were pretty new back then. Righto. Hit him at 80k an hour. We were 2,000 tonnes. He drove in front of us. I'm not sure what he was thinking, but... Oh, he clearly wasn't, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I can sympathise with truck drivers. It's not like you just stop and go like an automatic car, you know. I just realised there's a lot in it to stop it and a lot in it to start it. You see the reports on the telly about these things, and there was one up at Cardwell not that long ago. Mm. According to the numbers here that I've been given, there are 259 near misses recorded with motorists, cyclists, people on the Queensland Rail Network. Yeah, that was last year, yeah. So that's an increase of 191 near miss incidents over 2020. Yeah, it was 191 instances in 2020, mm. but that would probably be as well. There was a lot of border closures and things like that. Not as many people out as well, lockdowns and things like that. But, yeah, it's definitely a rise in the instances, yeah. Right. There's a lot of damage to infrastructure as well involved in that, like a lot of um, damaging boom arms and overhead wires and bridges and things like that. So the difference between a near miss and an absolute tragedy is just split seconds, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, it is. The key message of what we want to put out is every single one of these incidents is avoidable. Exactly. But the second thing is that you've just got to stay vigilant and pay attention around the train crossing. Obviously, you in the train can't do too much, as you said. Mm. You're basically restricted to trying to pull the thing up. And I don't think people realise how far 400 metres is. It's a long way. No. 400 metres, you'd only be just sort of starting to perceive what's going on at 400 metres, wouldn't you? Mm. Even like on a freight train, by the time you put the brake on, it hasn't even really reached the back yet. Like the brake's coming on. Yeah, right. It is a lot up to the public and the pedestrians and the motorists that there is a lot of distractions with mobile phones and radios and things going on. Yeah. But when you get up to those gates, if you see those lights flashing, they're doing it for a reason. Yeah. The gates are going to come down. And if once they start coming down, there is a train there. So there's no point in trying to push your luck. Yeah. Because it's not a really good result for anybody. The train can't go around you. The only way to go is straight through you. Yeah. You versus the train is not going to be a great outcome. No, you're not going to win, are you? No. I suppose the hardest part about it for you is that when it unfolds, they're all in front of you and you've done all that you can do. After that, you're simply a passenger. 
It is, yeah. And you see this stuff appear on social media all the time. There was one I saw the other day of a car sitting at the boom gates with the boom gates down. It wasn't in Queensland. Mm. And this person then just decides to drive around the boom gates and doesn't get through the other side and gets cleaned up by the train. Mm. What would enter your brain? Why would you even think that's a good idea? Yeah, it makes you wonder. We see it a lot, people driving. They just don't want to wait that extra minute or two minutes, really. Yeah. And they drive around the boom gate. You see people with their kids in the car doing it. You just think, are you completely insane? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, oh, you'd be amazed some of the crap we see from the cab or the truck. Oh, I can just imagine, yeah. Oh. You're a lot closer. You can see a bit better into it, yeah. I'll tell you what, there are some people out there that you really wonder. Mm. You think to yourself, don't breed. Yeah, but they've put a lot of effort into eliminating a lot of the crossings. Yeah. It obviously comes to budgets and you can't do them all in one day. There's just so many. Yeah. But just working through the worst ones and also improving the level crossings, painting, putting better lighting and boom gates and just making it more visible and audible. But there's also CCTV cameras are starting to go in at the crossings everywhere just to monitor behaviour at the crossings. That's mostly the metropolitan crossings though, isn't it? A lot in the metropolitan, but, you know, there's big crossings on highways that they've been putting them in as well. Yeah. I noticed on a lot of the roads now where there are major train crossings or weird angles and things like that, Mm. a lot of the speed limits have been dropped from 100, 110 down to 80 kilometres an hour to go across those crossings. Okay, yeah. Particularly around grain silos and things like that. I'm talking about mostly out in the West Country now. Yeah. I think that makes a bit of a difference as far as it goes, but... A lot of the country crosses don't have the audible bells. It's only the metro ones that have bells. Mm. And obviously the flashing lights are everywhere. Yeah. Some of the crossings, I'm not sure. I can't remember whether I've seen them in Queensland or not, but we have flashing orange lights before the crossings. Yeah, there's a methodology to it for each crossing for sighting and speeds of the trains and the traffic. There's a formula that comes up, so you've got to have certain types of signalling and line markings and speeds across the crossing. Yeah, It's a lot to go into. It's not just, oh, here's a crossing, we'll put a sign up and hope for the best. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Yeah, I'm actually doing a you know, Bachelor in Accident Investigation Forensics as well. Oh, right, eh? So all this is right up my alley, yeah. <laughs> it's great to have you on the show so we can talk about it. Yeah, definitely, yeah. It's a tough thing, I suppose. And is that incident with the truck you had there before, is that the only one you've had? I've had a car drive in front of me. He was at a service station next to the level crossing and for whatever reason, he drove out, but he didn't drive on his side of the road. He drove across the wrong side of the road, which didn't have a boom gate on that side. Once he realised, he just looked up at me. Uh, (laughs) What are you doing, mate? But yeah, it wasn't fatal or anything, but the car was destroyed. It was only a low speed, probably 40 kilometres an hour hit, but the headlight was about 200 metres up the track. It hit that hard. Yeah. The amount of force that a train hits a car with is like a fly hitting the windscreen of a truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just bang. We've all seen the videos on YouTube, I'm sure, of trucks getting ripped in half because they've been stranded on humps over crossings. Mm. They just drive straight through the middle of it, tear a trailer in half. Yeah. Take the cab clean off. Mm. A lot of the safety videos that I've seen with respect to level crossing safety leave me in no doubt that it doesn't really matter what happens, you're not going to win. No. If you're ever kind of around a train at ground level, just have a look how big they are and yeah. and have a look at the front of it and just think what's going to come off second best, you know, like the car or the train. Yeah. It doesn't even really put a scratch on the train. You'd be surprised when it hits a car. You wouldn't even really notice it's happened. Yeah. Yeah. It leaves me speechless. Mm. I just had the image of that going through my head. Mm. I can't even begin to imagine what it's like for you as a driver to have to be just sitting there and just watching it happen and knowing that you can't do much about it. No. I'd like to think they give you some support and you get some debriefing and counselling when it happens. Is that the case, is it? Yeah, there's counsellors, yeah. 
I'm also a trauma support driver, so mm. when a driver or anyone's been in an accident, come back to work, they can request to go with a trauma driver for a while and I could drive or they could drive. And if they want to talk about it, they could talk about it. It's just helping them get back into work and have someone there with them in case, you know, they're not quite ready yet. Yep. Just that helping hand to get through. And it's a lot of that at work too. It's not professional. It's just talking amongst your friends at work and they might not want to talk, but sometimes they might want to just have a quiet word. Yep. It's just part of the trauma support thing as well. It's not just going to work and driving with them, but you're open to have a conversation with people about what's happened to them and how they're going. It affects not only you if you're involved in an accident, but your family as well. Like It resonates with everything you do. It's hard to kind of explain, but everyone's a bit kind of like, what do I say to him? What do I do? And yeah. But it's a bit of a tricky one to navigate. It is, I suppose. I've had friends of mine that have been involved in major accidents driving trucks. Mm. And, you know, I've had the odd near miss and things happen myself. Mm. You sit around with your mates who have got the same experience as you and you have a beer at a barbecue or something like that. You might talk about it, you might not talk about it. Mm. I suppose it's the knowledge that someone's there to have a talk with you. And I think it's a great idea. That's it. I remember when I had my accident, I was only, I think I was 20 or 21. Yeah. It was all kind of really new to me. And I thought I was going nuts. It was going through my head all the time. Yeah. I found talking to some of the old blokes I was working with, that was what really kind of worked me through it. Mm. When you have an accident, it's so traumatic at the time, but then you've got to kind of come back to work as well. You've got to make a living. You've got to pay your bills and feed your family. Yeah. Some nights you're just white knuckling, grinning, bearing it. You know, you might be fine some days and then out of the corner of your eye, that something will come out and just brings it straight back. And it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's different. Some people it doesn't affect that much and some people it really does, but it's a pretty wide void there. I can imagine some guys are fairly pragmatic and just go, oh, well, it's your fault. You're stupid enough to be there. Sorry. Through my uni, we had a presentation by a forensic road crash investigator in Bundaberg. Yep. And he was like that. He goes, I don't make any apologies. I'm this way. And that's how he, I'd say, dealt with all the trauma that he'd seen. Mm. He was pretty blunt with everyone. He didn't mince words with people. He was quite interesting to listen to, but after his presentation, I remember driving back to my motel that night and I was <laughs> I was looking everywhere. I was going pretty slow. <laughs> he praised the truck drivers. He said they, they have a lot of traumatic experiences as well. I'm sure that you and I have both seen some things and both had our near misses and you think to yourself there, but for the grace of God, go I. Mm, oh, yeah. You and I both, we're in an environment where bad things can happen and you know in the back of your head that it can, you hope against hope that it won't, mm. but you've got to take it as it comes, I suppose. The reality of it is people need to realise this conversation is probably aimed more at truck drivers. We are a trucking podcast. Yeah, definitely. So things are for truckies to remember, I suppose. You've got to make sure they've got enough room to get across the bloody track for a start and you're not going to block the track with your dog trailer or something Yeah, because that's still going to hurt. Yeah, I've seen that before. And there's times where there's intersections on the other side as well. And they'll get through and there's still a red and then like the trailer's hanging out as well. Yeah. But also a lot of it's they'll going across with the gates coming down and it's it rips the gates off as well. Yeah. Because we can't go across the crossing, then we can't just go across with no gates deal. Yeah. Over the last like little while they've started putting boom gates at the crossings now. So before it was they had to go to the depot and load the truck up and that, but now they're there and they can come out, take the old one off, put the new one on and a lot less delayed. You know, you can have hundreds of passengers on your train trying to go to work and they get pretty irritable pretty quick. Mm. Mate, we'll just take a quick break and we'll hear from our sponsors and we'll come back with some other stuff. You can me there, Andy. Yeah, mate, got you go. Mate, we're coming up to that level crossing we were talking about before. Looks like we're going to be stopping. Roger that. Look at the size of that thing. They tell me they take about two k's to stop. That's like 20 times the length of the MCG. Would want to be playing chicken with that. 
Yeah, copy that. They can't exactly swerve either, can they? They're stuck to the track, mate. It's not that hard to wait till it's safe to cross and make sure the road's clear on the other side. Yeah, not like that bloke last week who forgot about the length of his trailer. Yeah, I heard about that one. It's not really funny though when you think about it. Poor old train driver. Probably been having nightmares ever since. Yeah, I reckon. We're all in the same boat really, mate. Everyone just wants to get home safe at the end of the day. Yeah, not wrong on that one. There goes the last carriage. Looks like we're safe to head off now. Thanks, Mike. Long way to go. After you, old mate. This is a message from Queensland Rail reminding us that it's important to stay alert and obey any signs and signals when approaching level crossings to help keep you and everyone else safe. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. Back with Pete Cohen, train driver from Queensland Rail. We've got to get the safety message out there, and that's the reason why we're doing it. So obviously, we've got to avoid harm, mm. stop before the boom arm, and that's the key message of the safety thing. That's it. Last year, Queensland Rail launched the boom arm strike campaign targeted drivers, and as you say, there's CCTV being up there, there's fines up to 10000 bucks for delays and things like that. But more importantly than that, mate, no one wants to get hurt. No. No one wants to lose a relative. If you've got the wife and the kids, and that's the same as me, mm. we all want to get home safe at the end of the day. If you'd had one thing that you could say to truck drivers about level crossings, is there one thing that you would say to them about it? Yeah, just take it all in. They're there for a reason. If you see those lights flashing and the boom gate's there, it takes a while for it to cycle through, but if the lights start flashing, it's going to be a train. Yeah. So just really think about it because we want to get home to our families. We want everyone else to get home to their families on the train and the public. No one wants to be involved in an accident. Mm. Every accident is avoidable pretty much at the level crossings. Yeah. There's no second chances with a train. I don't want to have to be involved in any more accidents. And I don't want any of my friends or family to be involved in it. Yeah. So everyone take care around the crossings out there and you might save a life. It might even be your own. Exactly. Mate, did you harbour ideas when you were a kid? Did you always want to be a train driver or was it just sort of something that happened over the course of life? Yeah, I grew up in a railway family. My dad started out on steam trains and worked his way through. He was a driver and a, what they called a loco inspector back then or a train operations inspector, yeah. Right. So I kind of grew up around trains and he used to take me on the weekends and give me a sneaky drive and a little ride in the front. But <laughs> yep. A long time ago. Yep. Can't do it anymore, but yeah, I just grew up loving it. I always kind of thought I'd end up in the railway being a driver, and I did. As a kid, trains fascinated me. Mm. I never ever wanted to drive one. I just wanted to see them. And I mean, people out there who love trains, they take photos, train spotters and all that sort of thing. Yep. Just out the road from where I live, there's a main train line, and they get a big steam train go up and down it from time to time. Yeah, yeah. Just down the road from me in Thirlmere, oh. there's the train museum there. Yeah, yeah, I've been to that one, yep. Have you? Yeah, yeah. Nice part of the world down there. When they've got the trains going out there, man, you can't move. You can't even get a parking spot. It's ridiculous. I actually do the steam trains up here when we were running them, and, yeah, they were sold out every time we ran it. Yeah. The popularity has come back, yeah. The Festival of Steam's coming up down at Thirlmere. That's when they get this steam train running up and down. Yeah. People line the streets and take photos of it, and it's just incredible. It's going to be pretty big. They said they've got eight steam engines this year, the most they've ever had for it. All righto. So are you going to come down and have a look, are you? I'd love to, but I've got an 18-month-old and a four-year-old, so it, <laughs> I can't just pop down there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they've got that 3801 back running again. I want to take my little fella for a look at it. What's 3801, mate? It was built in the 40s, like just in the kind of during the war. Yep. Yeah, it's like an Art Deco Streamline one. It's pretty famous in New South Wales. 
that that took them 12 years to get it going again. They had a lot of dramas, but it's all running again. You'll see it. it's a big green one with yellow kind of stripes. It's all streamlined, really cool with a bit of gear, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose you geek out over trains like I geek out over trucks. Yeah, yeah. Got a bit of a soft spot for the steam engines. I've always kind of just fascinated by the mechanics of it and the theory of it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more to it than just bang, bang. Yeah. It's like you've got metallurgy and water levels and all sorts of stuff. It's pretty interesting. Have you ever driven a steam train? Yeah, yeah, lots of times. Yeah, I'm steam qualified at work for firemen. Mm-hmm. I look after the boiler side and the shoveling. So yeah. we haven't really run for the last few years. There's been COVID and other things. So they're trying to get it running again this year. So fingers crossed. How fast can a steam train go? We're a bit slower up here. Like the couple we've got running, they'd do 100k an hour. Right, eh? We don't run them that hard anymore. We're living up to 80. Yep. That 3801, it runs on the main line doing 115. No worries. Right, eh? But it could do 130, 140. No worries. Right. So there's some in England. They do well. The record's 201 kilometres an hour. Yeah, right. As I say, the trains fascinate me. Rose and I went to Japan a couple of years ago. Mm. And we went on those Shinkansen things. Mm, yeah, yeah. The fast trains. And I did a video when we were going past Mount Fuji. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I had the speed thing on the phone. And we were doing like 275 kilometers an hour in a train mm. with 5G internet <laughs> going past Mount Fuji. Yeah, it's impressive. I've been on a lot of high-speed trains around the world, but I remember that Japanese one. Like, yep. There's no up and down and side to side. It's just dead flat, not a wiggle, not a bounce or anything. We bought one of those JR passes and we could go anywhere on these things and we were staying in Yokohama. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you get on the train and you're in Tokyo City in 20 minutes. It's ridiculous. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. And they run them on time too, mate. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Set your watch by them. It's quite incredible. Mm. You got another oddball question. <laughs> yep, yep. Does a red light mean stop? It does, yeah. For a train driver, that's the number one thing. Like, yeah. It's called a signal pass of danger if you go past a red. Yeah. So you spend your whole career avoiding that at all costs. You've got like the rail regulator and everyone that governs everything, so you're not allowed to do it, but there's also a bit of pride in it as well. You could go your career without not having one. <laughs> right. so what I meant to say is that you've got all these lights and signals like that. You're in radio contact with a controller or something like that? Is that how it works? Or? Yeah, we do have radio contact with control, but the main signalling we use in Queensland there's lots of variations, but the main one's called remote control signaling. Yeah. It's operated from obviously a remote place. Yeah. And it's all computerized. And the principle is one train on one track at one time. So you can set signals so you can have a train running on the one section up to a different point. And then obviously you've got a red signal for a train facing the other way. Yeah. So if one train's on that section, the signal behind that train will be obviously at red. So no other trains can be on that section. Right. That's the basic principle. Yeah. So they've got a little bit of separation. Yeah, definitely. Like a safe following distance, like we've got a safe following distance in trucks, you've got a safe following distance in trains. Yeah. So say there's like a section from A to B Mm. and then B to C. Yep. Say the train's on A to B, there'll be a signal at B that's red. Yeah. And so the train in B to C can't come in until the train's gone from A to Z or whatever the next section is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should they be slowed down or do they have to stop? Yeah, we've got a series of signals. There's red for stop. Yellow means the next section isn't occupied, but the one past it is. Oh, right. Yep. So it kind of goes like red, yellow, double yellow, green. Yep. And then there's variations in that. There's a lot of different types of safe working. It started with staff and ticket. That was 
one train had to have a staff. It's like a timber batten with the name of the section on it. Say it's from Central to Roma Street. Yep. The train that went from Central to Roma Street had to carry that one. So the other train, the other had to wait and it had to carry it back over. So the driver had to have that on him to go over the section. Oh, right. Yeah. And then it all just progressed, modernised from there. Everyone's seen the signal arms, yeah, the switches, all that manual switch gear and all that on the tracks. Is that all still manual or is it electronically controlled? Yeah, it's mainly interlocked with the remote control signaling. Each state's got a variation of their own system pretty much. Yeah. There's not the one system across Australia, so... Welcome to my world. <laughs> Australia's never been good at joining up the states. Oh, no. They've all had different gauges to start with, different safe working and their own practices. Yeah. So it's slowly becoming the national standard over time. There's a lot of things that have joined in for the national standard, but signalling's still various through the different states. So as a train driver, do you get a licence to drive a particular class of train or type of train and you've got to get an endorsement for the next one? It's not so much a licence, it's a competency. You've got to do safe work and see the safe work is the signalling system yep. and you've got to be qualified in that and then you've got to be qualified in the traction, so the type of train you're driving. Yep. Probably one of the biggest ones is being competent on the route. It sounds a bit kind of strange at sometimes, but you have to drive over the road until you know it pretty much off by heart. Yep. I understand trucks, they're heavy enough as it is, yep. but trains can be in Queensland over a kilometre long. Yep. So you've got to really know where you're going because if you come up to a slower corner or a red signal or something and you don't know where you are and you're doing too fast, it's pretty catastrophic then. <laughs> Just goes downhill from there. Yeah. I wasn't ever going to do mine's bigger than yours or yours is bigger than mine with you because I know I'd lose. <laughs> there's differences. We're on rails as well, so that helps a bit. Yeah. I can understand there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences between the two. Yeah. I drive road trains, or I used to drive road trains. Yeah. And I've just spent the best part of the year working in Western Australia. Six months of that up in the Pilbara driving those big quad road trains. Mm, yeah. And they're only 210, 214 tonne on a public road, which is a bit of a fun thing. Mm. So what's your weight of a freight train? Oh, it can vary. On the main lines here up the north coast, you could probably do 2,000 maybe. 2,000 tonnes. Yeah, but over in the Pilbara, I've got some good friends that work over there. They do 40,000 tonne trains over there. Oh, yeah, they're big. They're the biggest ones in the world. I've seen them over there with two locos on the front, two in the middle and two on the back. They're just incredibly huge. Yeah, oh, we, we run them in Queensland too. They've got probably 12,000 tonnes, over 100 wagons. Yep. They're a pretty impressive bit of gear, yeah. Yeah, they are. We're kind of lucky that we're separated on the track from other trains. Yeah. But you guys still got people driving out in front of you. But we don't have that unless we're at crossings at stations. Yeah. Motorists and trespassers and pedestrians and things like that. Yeah. All right, mate. I've got to ask you one more question. I've just got one more question to go. Just to wrap it up on a lighter note, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, go for it, Mike. Are you guys allowed to blow the horn back at a truck driver when he blows the horn at you going down the road side by side? <laughs> When I was up north, <laughs> we'd be going to those sections between like Home Hill and Proserpine, and it's just, there's nothing there. Yeah. We'd give each other a toot. No one around. Yeah. It's just good to know when you're chugging along at three or four in the morning, there's someone else out there, you know, <laughs> just another human being. Yeah. We used to wave to them, give them a toot. Yeah, for sure. I put a bloke in in New South Wales. I was beside one earlier this week, and I knew I was going to be having the chat with you. Yeah, yeah. I'm tooling down the road in the tanker, and I'm slowly overtaking him, right? And I got level with the engine. And I looked across and I could see him sitting there, so I gave him a long blast on the air horn. We're out in the middle of the country, out in the middle of nowhere. <clears throat> I gave him a long blast on the air horn, and he waved over at me and gave me the thumbs up and gave me a quick toot with the clanks, and I thought to myself, yeah. I don't know, are we allowed to do that, are we, mate? Who cares? We're having fun. 
Yeah, uh, it's a bit different. Like in the suburban areas, it's kind of you don't do that because you got your neighbouring people. Yeah. And I've lived near a railway line, and I know the train lines can be noisy. And I've done shift work my whole life, and I know how <laughs> annoying it is not to be able to sleep. Yeah. yeah, I respect the people around, but out in the bush, it was a different was, story. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Hey, mate, it's been great to have you on the show. I really do appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for having me on, Mike. That was really good, yeah. So if you come down to the Thermia to the trains... Yeah, mate, yep. Give me a ring. You've got my phone number now. We'll go out and we'll have a beer. Sounds good. And you can take me over and show me some trains. You can geek me out on some trains. Go to the Thermia Hotel. Go to the Thermia Hotel. I'll tell you what, <laughs> the beer's cold, mate. That's it. And I can show you the final points of 3801. Excellent. I'll be there or be square, buddy. Very good, mate. It's a date. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks mate. for coming out and playing on the road. Take care, eh? So that was Pete Cohen. He's a 25-year veteran with Queensland Rail. What an interesting guy. I'll tell you what, probably some of that interview ended up on the cutting room floor because we talked for ages and we geeked out on the trains and he was just awesome. Great sense of humor, great bloke. And I'm dead serious. If he comes out, I'll buy him a beer for sure. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Hope you get something out of it. Remember, stop before the boom arm, guys. It's not that hard. Take care out there. Catch you later. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On The Road podcasts every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. It's my pleasure to introduce you to the band Copperline, our featured homegrown music artist this week. 
Hailing from Sydney and the Blue Mountains, Copper Line are making a name for themselves in the alternate country music scene with their brand of witty, thought-provoking and honest storytelling. Copper Line is Brad Christmas, Richie Gosling, Paul Handel and Gareth Richards, and their outstanding debut album, Rusty Fords and Weatherboards, was produced by Shane Nicholson and truly showcased the band's versatility. During the COVID hibernation, they've returned to the studio once more with a brand new batch of songs. We've chosen to feature one of these tracks this week. It's an emotion-filled dedication titled Lucinda. The song was written by Brad, who said, This is probably the most deeply personal song I've ever written. It's a gift to my little girl, whose stay in this world was all too brief, but still meant the world to us, a reminder to her that she'll always be in our hearts. Many of us have been touched by the pain of losing a young one we love and will certainly be able to relate to this beautiful emotion-filled dedication. Joining us today to share the story of Copperline and their brand new single is lead vocalist Brad Christmas. Hi Brad, thanks for joining us on the road. It's my very great pleasure, thanks for having me on. It's our very great pleasure mate. Now Brad, you yourself have been something of a hired gun working alongside Steve Kilby and the church amongst others. Indeed all the members of the band have been successful hard-working musos over the years in their own right. How and when did you all come together to form Copperline? Well, Copperline's a pretty new project, I guess, for some old campaigners. Richie and Gareth, our bass player and drummer, have been playing together for probably the best part of 30 years in a range of bands. Mm. I've been playing with those two for about 15, I'd say. We've been in cover bands, event bands, wedding bands. We've even had a kids band for a while. Right. And then Paul came on board probably seven or eight years ago. But all through that time, we'd shared a passion for songwriting and for country music in particular, and we sort of had an agreement that when we had a batch of songs that we felt really proud of and held together as an album, we thought we'll go into the studio and start a new original country music project. So back in 2018, we sort of felt like we had that. So we gave Shane Nicholson, our friend and producer, a call and went in the studio, and that's how Copperline was born. Right. Speaking of Shane, he's very much, I would seem, everyone's friend and producer these days. He's a hardworking man, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's very in demand and you can understand why. I mean, I think he's the best going around, certainly in Australia. Mm. He's just got a beautiful production sense. He knows how to bring out the human quality in music. I think in this day and age, we've got the technology to be able to make everything sound perfect, you know, to remove any imperfections from music. Yes. But Shane has got an instinct for just the right number of imperfections and human qualities to leave in a song to make them sound warm and to give them a really distinct character. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's anyone better in Australia than him, and it's been a real privilege to have been able to work with him a couple of times now. It is indeed. Well, I'm actually due to have a chat with him in a week or so, so looking forward to that. Oh, great. Brad, the new album, what can Copperline fans expect from it? Our first album was written mostly by me and Richie, our bass player. Mm. But this new album is a lot more of a collaboration. All four of us have brought song ideas and we've worked a lot more together to hone the songs into what they are today. Right. As you said before, we've sort of all come from a range of backgrounds and a lot of us have played in a lot of rock bands. So I think the rockier side of our backgrounds comes out a little bit more. You know, we definitely explore some different styles and moods on this record that we might not have gone to on the first record. So it's definitely a continuation. There's still that love of storytelling that really drove our first record. Hmm. But we definitely sort of push it into some new areas this time around. The new single drawn from the album is the incredibly moving track, Lucinda. Now, normally, mate, I wouldn't ask the artist to tell the story behind the song, but the story is there in the beautiful lyrics. 
This must be a very, very special song for you personally, mate. Yeah, absolutely. As you beautifully explained in the introduction, it was for a child who my wife and I lost a few years ago, who was only with it for a short time. And Mm. I think for anyone who has been through that experience, there's a sense of helplessness. You wish you could have done more. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to do was to celebrate the time that she was here in some way. And as a songwriter, I felt like writing a song was the most obvious way to do that. Yes. Also, she wasn't around long. So apart from her mother and I, no one really got to meet her. Mm. So I guess I just wanted to announce to the world that she was here and it was a short time, but it was an important time and she was loved. Yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting song because <laughs> some songs are really hard to write. But once I'd made the decision to do this, this is probably the easiest song I've ever written. It just sort of came spilling out really easily. Yeah. So, yeah, that sort of told me it was there and it was coming from a pretty raw emotional place, I guess. Oh, yeah. And when it's coming from the heart, it really does flow like that. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you guys have a pretty hectic touring schedule across April, I've seen, including the Tamworth Country Music Festival. And I love the name of the venue you're playing there, The Welder's Dog. I can just see the live album, Copperline, live at the Welder's Dog. (laughs) What are the band's plans for the rest of the year? Things are looking really good, actually. After two pretty bleak years, Mm. things are starting to look optimistic. We did a show in Canberra over the weekend, and we had a room full of 150-odd people. No one was wearing masks. People were up on their feet singing and dancing, and it sort of caught me by surprise how comforting and reassuring and uplifting that was. Yeah, brilliant. So, yeah, as you said, we're heading up to Tamworth. We're doing a few shows in Tamworth, and off the back of that, we're planning to release our second record in the middle of the year, and then we plan to travel sort of far and wide after that, so in the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. So if people are interested in the music, our Facebook page will have lots of updates of upcoming shows, hopefully in all corners of the country. Right. So to find your Facebook page, mate, people just look for... If you just search Copperline Music on Facebook, you'll see us. We're the ones with the beards and the hats. <laughs> we stick out amongst the others. <laughs> it's a great look. Yeah, and that's the best place to stay up to date with releases and touring and all the other bits and pieces that are going on. Well, it's been altogether too brief, but our guest today has been Brad Christmas from Copperline. Mate, thanks for finding the time to come and play on the road with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for your interest in the music and for having me on. It's been lovely to chat to you. Now, to close out our chat, would you please introduce your new single for us? I certainly can. I'm Brad from Copperline, and this is our brand new single, Lucinda. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. what they're supposed to say That don't stop them saying it anyway Time and time will heal the wounds and take the pain away None of that means anything today We don't know what we're supposed to do Inside this empty world we built for you Trapped inside of dreams that will never see come true Everything we touch just face the blue I don't know if I believe in heaven, hell or grace I've been busy praying to the angels just in case Cause all that we have left now is to promise this my day 
darling, we will not forget that you were here. That it was for the best The day we had to lay you down to rest The fire of a father's love Still burning in my chest Burying way deep down to be expressed I don't know if I believe in heaven, hell or grace I've been busy praying the angels just in case Cause all that we have left now Is to promise this my day Lucinda darling We will not forget that you were here Brad from Copperline, and you're listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy. For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. G'day, Mike. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm doing all right. First things first, though, mm. have you got your head above water? I have. I've got my floaties on. Yeah. And I went down to BCF and got myself a bloody life jacket. Good. Was it size SM? No. Small marquee. <laughs> uh, it was a size FB, mate. Fat bastard. That was the size of it. <laughs> okay. The actual road between the little village where I live in New South Wales called Tarmor, hmm. we've got water over the road at both ends. I drove the truck through it before and it looked like a jet ski going down the road. A big jet ski, but just a jet ski. Had a car follow me through and I don't think you got a surprise of how deep it was, but anyway. You're allowed to drive through. The road's not actually closed yet. Okay. But I'll tell you what, I won't be surprised. The actual bridge at the King George Hotel in Picton is shut and they've sandbagged the town. Most humble apologies, mate, because as you know, we had that all up here in Brizzy and we've sent it all your way. Mate, Lismore have copped an absolute hammering. Mm. Notice from the QTA there, just only in the last few minutes to say that the road route to Lismore has been reopened mm. and only trucks that are servicing the restocking of the shelves permitted to go through. So 
the highway, even though it's been reopened at Chindera, southbound out of Brisbane, mm. was still under advisory status. So this is going to be a little bit out of date by the time people hear the news, but I think that they should just check their guides and see what's going on because the weather has been abysmal. I tell you what, it's been shocking up here. I went out in the veranda at one stage when the rain was really heavy mm. and those raindrops really hurt. Yeah. But, but then I realised they weren't raindrops at all. They were, in fact, 50-cent pieces. Oh, they? Hmm. I figured it must have been climate change. Oh, no. And you were waiting uh, to see how I was going to work my wife into that gag, weren't you? I was. I was. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the news desk. Mate, it seems that six months to the day since Glenn Stirl's Senate inquiry report was tabled with the federal government, Canberra is still largely ignoring the plight of truckies. And why are we not amazed? Mm. Once upon a time... 2019, we were just a pain in the ass on the road, getting in everyone's way, holding them up. Mm. And all of a sudden, we're essential workers and we're absolute heroes and we're on the front line and we're doing it. Mm. And then we can't cross the border because we haven't had our bloody injections. Mm. And now we're back to being second-class citizens again. Full circle. Yep. Scott Morrison and the current Transport Minister, Barnaby Joyce, completely snubbed and disrespected the road transport industry by not responding to the inquiry's report and recommendation as they were received last August, said Senator Stirl. And listen, I like Senator Stirl a lot. Everyone that listens to the show knows I like him a lot. He does a lot of work for the industry. He's probably one of the hardest working politicians for the transport industry that I've ever encountered. Mm. He went to a great deal of trouble and investigated things that were going on in the industry and produced his inquiry, which produced recommendations. All I can say to you is, frankly, I'm disgusted that the recommendations haven't at least been responded to. Mm. TWU National Secretary Michael Caine said, go slow, showed the government wasn't on the side of truckies or the industry. Well, you know, I find myself agreeing with Michael Caine again. What can we say, mate? 31 people have died in trucking bold crashes, including 10 drivers so far in 2022. And this is just regarded as a cost of doing business. Well, it's got to come to a stop. And while we don't look at the issues that are going on in this industry and across this country, then these accidents, deaths and the tragedies are just going to continue. Now, I'm not going to say to you that we're ever going to bring it to a standstill. I'm not going to ever say to you that no one's going to die in a road accident involving a truck because realistically that won't happen. Mm. But there can be no doubt that road safety with heavy vehicles and remuneration for the companies that cart the freight are directly related to each other. And therefore, we need to have these recommendations looked at in a serious way and certainly acted upon in a serious way. And as far as I'm concerned, while that is not happening, Barnaby Joyce is not doing his job and needs to get off his ass and look at what's going on in this industry because I'm sick of burying my mates. Yeah. An agreement between Cummins and Meritor announced this week sees Cummins acquiring Meritor in a deal reportedly worth around $3.7 billion. Mere pocket change. Yeah. Well, we all know that Cummins build probably one of the best diesel engines in the world. Oh, okay. I get it now. We're talking about Cummins. I thought we were talking about the Australian cricket captain. <laughs> I was thinking, where did he get that sort of money from? Oh, dear, oh, dear. Playing cricket, mate. Good gig if you can get it. Cummins, the big red motors that power the beautiful Kenworth that I operate. Yeah, I'm with you now. Yep. The unstoppable X15 Cummins motor, etc., etc. Bit of a plug for Cummins. Maybe we can get them to sponsor the show. We'll see how we go. Mm. 
Cummins have taken over Meritor. Now, everyone that's involved in trucks know that Meritor are one of the leading players in axle and brake technology, and they've been around for about, oh, 110 years. The headquarters are in Michigan in the US, and they employ about 9,600 people. Cummins had put in the offer, and it's probably two of the biggest players in the game who are joining forces, and yeah, exciting times. It is. Be interesting to see what comes of it. Mike, a truckie has been charged under the Queensland Work Health and Safety Act with breaching his work health and safety responsibilities, which resulted in a young worker being crushed and hospitalised for nearly three weeks. The experienced truck driver pleaded guilty in Longreach Magistrates Court to breaching his work health and safety duty over an incident in which the young worker was crushed and spent 18 days in hospital. So it was more than just a paper cut. Oh, yeah. There were some missing clips on the trailer's wear pad, which hanged down partially preventing the cleaning connection between the third trailer and the dolly attached to the rear of a second trailer. And the driver told the young fella to put a broom handle up to hold the wear pad to make the connection. However, the young worker went under the trailer to hold the wear pad up and found the broom handle was too short. Then the defendant reversed the truck, even though he couldn't see the young fella and crushed him between the dolly and the trailer stand. Oh, jeez. It doesn't get much worse than that. Can you imagine what that would have been like for the young fella? Horrific. You'd have had your life pass before your eyes and a fairly short one too. Mm-hmm. So his honour took into account the defendant's guilty plea and his otherwise good character and the lack of a criminal history and the financial circumstances, etc., etc., etc. And I hope someone gave him an uppercut because it's the most stupid thing to do in the world is reverse a trailer when you know someone's back there. It's just irresponsible. Indeed. 5000 bucks, not enough. Hmm. Now, we all know that rest areas are supposed to be used for truckies and other motorists to pull up in in the interests of fatigue management. Mm. But it seems lately that transport inspectors and police have been using them for setting up traffic blitzes, and truckies are not happy about that, mate. Well, gee, there's a surprise. Mm. Why would you be not happy about being pulled up in a place where you're supposed to be able to have a rest, you know? Mm. Oh, look, I'll tell you what, it just blows me away that they think that they should be able to do this. There are more than enough inspection stations and pads for inspections without using rest areas. It's as bad as when the council decides to close a rest area and use it for a dump for their gravel or something, you know? Mm. I've seen circumstances in there where trucks have gone into these rest areas in the dark and the road base and whatever it is they've tipped in there, it's all the same colour as everything else around. The bloke's just driven straight into the piles. Yep. You go in there, you know, it's time for sleep. You don't expect anything to be in there, and then all of a sudden there's a dirty great pile of f- gravel in front of you. Mm. And no warning signs, generally. Yep. And no one cares. They just keep doing this sort of sh- And for the RMS and other people who think that it's just a great idea to take over rest areas so that they can do enforcement, it's just not on. There are places like the Buddy Kulak pad, for example. Mm. They've got gates across them, so that you can't use those for rest areas. Yep. You're supposed to be able to comply with all this regulations and, and sleep and all the rest of it. And you've got these fellas going out doing this sort of thing. Now, I fully understand they've got every right to enforce the law and all the rest of it, but they don't have the right to just stop blokes using places for rest, and they don't have the right to move people on from rest areas if they're having a break just because they want to use it for enforcement. Yeah. Yeah, I want to try and get hold of people from NHVR and have a bit of a chat about this because somehow or another this has got to stop. It is just bastardry of the first order. Yeah. Well, you watch, mate. They'll start covert operations as driver reviver centres. And oh, yeah. when you least expect it, they'll leap out from behind the van and grab you. <laughs> I've 
had him follow me into a service station mm. and you pull up and you're about to have a break. You'll be leaning on the steering wheel, filling out your logbook. You know, you want to go inside and have a pee because you pulled up for a reason, you know, and then they'll want to stand there and talk to you for 15 minutes. You say, mate, I've pulled up on my break. Come back in half an hour. You sure that wasn't the other day when you're driving around in your wet T-shirt and underpants? <laughs> Don't go telling people about stuff like that, mate. Oh, sorry, that was the secret, was it? Well, it's not now. <laughs> As you were. <laughs> so tell me, how are things going with the plans for the Harmony Day celebrations that you and Amar Singh have been piecing together? Well... Amar and I have been working on it and it's just gone ahead in leaps and bounds. We've got the NHVR are going to come and set up there apparently and we've got, and that's where I'm going to ask him about the rest area issues, mm. let me tell you. I'll walk up with a microphone and I'll go, here you go, I'm bloke. Captive audience, yep. The National Road Freighters Association are sending now one of their information vans. They're going to be there. As I said before, there's going to be prizes for trucks. There's going to be a bit of truck show and shine and the best three trucks are going to get prizes. Mm-hmm. Some uh, daytime fireworks for the kids and food stands and a bit of cultural music and that. And we're trying to get some Aussie country singers to come and have a bit of a sing as well. And uh, we'll see what we can do. But it should be a great day. I'm looking forward to being there. I'm going to be there, hand out a few on-the-road caps and a heap of pens and things like that. So if you feel as though you want to come down and have a chat, uh, it's going to be at the Liverpool Catholic Club in the area behind there where the circus normally sets up. So you'll be able to just have a bit of a Google and you'll be able to see where that is. We'll give you a street address closer at the time because to be honest with you, mate, I haven't looked it up. So Fair enough. I know where it's going to be. I can tell you where it is, but I can't tell you the actual address. How stupid's that? But uh, Amar and I have been working on it. He's been doing most of the work. I'm just a talking head and you know, I'm very, very proud to be a part of it. Well... One of the common issues seems to be with the whole background behind why you're putting this together is Mm. lack of communication. That's right. This is an incredible opportunity for people to come with the right attitude and to start that conversation, to get that communication happening. Yeah, that's right. All just people trying to earn a living, all trying to support their families. Let's get our heads together. Let's talk with each other and move on. Well, we're all truck drivers at the end of the day and it is a two-way street. Yep, totally. My friends from truckneuzealand.org, hmm. they're doing this thing called Keep On Moving. It's obviously a trucking podcast from New Zealand. It's a lot of talking with people in New Zealand mostly, but they've got a fella from England on it. It's talking about things going on in England, and I'm talking on it about things going on in Australia, and just a lot of New Zealand stuff. A trucking magazine, a little bit like us, but different. Hmm. Obviously, all the Kiwi expatriates are probably going to be more interested in it than the Aussie guys. But it is worth a listen if you're interested in what's going on in other parts of the world. Keep on moving, it's called. Give it a try. You might like it. It's available on all the podcast platforms. Hmm. It might tickle your fancy. You never know. Give it a go. Are you going to provide any translation services, mate, to help? Well, I've been trying to not do the New Zealand jokes, mate. (laughs) Nor should we. That's just not right. (laughs) (laughs) Remember that character, Fred Dagg? I do. John Clark. John Clark, yep. I've heard recordings that he did singing along. You know, we three kings of Orient are one on a tractor, two on a car, one on a scooter, two to Cahoota, follow a John to star. Star of glory, star of light, star of wonders, you'll be right. <laughs> star of glory, that's the story, follow a John to star. Never forget it. Yeah. Funny as hell. He was a funny man. Yeah. All right, mate, we better tidy this up now. Yep, why not? Things to do, thought for the week. Okay, hit me. In keeping with the inclement weather theme that seems to be running at the moment, 
I always thought that the Bureau of Meteorology was a standalone information provider. Right. Turns out it really is just another umbrella organisation. <laughs> Get off me phone. See ya, mate. <laughs> See ya. On the Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. Just a quick word about our sponsors. Go to our webpage, www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au and you can see who the friends of the show are. And if their products are something that you are interested in or something that you may need, please support them because they support us and they bring our show to you. G'day guys, it's Tone from Tone's Trucking Stories here and TruckWiz. And you can now listen to the On The Road podcast on the Australian Big Rig Road Show via the TruckWiz app. Download it from the App Store right now. Something to talk about, something to think about. So, as I do, troll the internet trying to find things to amuse me, I suppose, for the want of a bit of description. I've come across this article about the single biggest reason we have a truck driver shortage. And this bloke, Epic Webb, is a Northern Territory truckie, has written this little short piece here. And he's saying that drivers are treated as cash cows by governments, scapegoats by governments and agencies, and various motoring bodies and other self-interest groups. And he goes on to just basically lay out every single issue that we all know to be true. Poor pay for doing one of the most dangerous jobs in the country, bar none. Poor facilities for truck drivers, including lack of things like clean toilets, showers and meals. Not nearly enough parking anywhere in their capital cities or towns or industrial areas. Along our roads, the highways and byways, there's just not enough rest areas. There's not enough facilities. There's too much blame shifting of truck drivers for the actions that others have. And the cascading effect that inevitably gets dumped all on the driver and insurance. And the fact that is that Unless you're 25 and got two years' experience that you're magically supposed to get, it gets hard to get decent insurance. But the other issue is that if you've got a heartbeat and a driver's licence, then you should be able to get a job. The hard part is getting experience, and the hard part is getting a company to take the chance on you to get you that experience, I suppose. The reality of it is there is a driver shortage. Another reality is that we've got drivers coming from all over the world to fill that driver shortage. And that's going to keep happening because we don't have enough homegrown drivers. It's one of the reasons why our licensing system needs to be thoroughly reviewed and sorted out once and for all. That's what I really want you to think about. We need to take some action to make sure that that happens. Now, by take some action, I mean send emails to your politicians. Send emails to the transport ministers. Let them know that you're concerned about the licensing and the regulation. If you're sitting there listening to this nodding along, if you sit there and bitch behind the wheel as you're driving down the road, take five minutes, find out who the state transport minister is and send them an email. Let them know what you think. It's the only way they'll act. If they think there's a vote in it, they'll act. Believe me. Something to think about. Catch you later. Just before Christmas, we introduced you to Aussie band Darlinghurst. Well, back by popular demand, here's Darlinghurst again with another great track, Unfaithful. Why do you have to be so unfaithful, unfaithful to me? 
Well, that's the show for another week. Thanks for coming along for the ride. On the Road is proudly brought to you by Queensland Rail, committed to improving level crossing safety through engineering, innovation and education. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. And NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. Be sure to join us again next week when Mike says... Well, here's the thing. Andy says... You've got a job, and I don't. And our guest says... So you can't judge a book by its cover. Until then, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions.